Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in the Ravens podcast. I'm your host, Bo Smolka, along with my co-host, former Ravens tight end Daniel Wilcox. And for the Ravens, unfortunately, it is now the offseason. What had begun with so much promise ends with a six-game losing streak. Injuries just decimated this team, and it all came to a head in the final game against Pittsburgh at home. The Ravens needing to win and get help to try to make the playoffs and they were unable to do that. They lose 16-13 to in overtime. Lamar Jackson missed his fourth consecutive game, and Daniel Wilcox, it just seemed as I watched this game, you have Ben Roethlisberger, you have about four or 5,000 Steelers fans in attendance thinking it might be Roethlisberger's last game. The Ravens had chances to build this lead to two scores, two or three different times and they couldn't do it and you're just watching and thinking you know you cannot give Ben Roethlisberger more chances because it's you're just asking for trouble as you watched that game did you sense that here comes Ben Roethlisberger and he's going to do it again absolutely man there were so many moments in that game man to me one of I guess the biggest pivotal moments was when Tyler Huntley threw the interception in the end zone you know and I remember watching the game and feeling like, okay, I see the momentum shifting in the Ravens' favor, and and, just, and you you've seen the guys feel it, like we got this, you know. And then you you see the interception, the pick in the end zone, and you like, oh, like that's a huge, you know. That's you know every time that happens against a team like Pittsburgh, they find a way to score, and you knew they was gonna come down. It was gonna either gonna be a field goal, or it was gonna be a touchdown, but you knew they was gonna take a shot. Um, when Roethlisberger, when that happened, I saw Chase Claypool, you know, really make some really good plays and they was using him like more in the running game this game than I think they have all probably season. And it was it was just so many intangibles about that moment for me where I knew something dynamic was going to happen in Ben Roethlisberger's favor. And it's always like that with the great ones, right? The great ones, they find a way to turn back the hands of time in those big, big moments. And no matter how old they are, how long they've been playing, they got so much knowledge of the game and so much understanding. And they've seen that Ravens 3-4 defense for years and years and years, two times a year. And they know where the pressure is going to come from. They kind of learn the tendencies of the of the DC and they try to figure out exactly where my, my opening is going to be. Oh, I think it's the three, four defense. They get in a cover one, then they're in the cover. Oh, they're in the cover one right now. They're going fire zone. Then cover three with a, with a, with a, with a blitz off the edge and they send in the outside backer and he feel that pressure. He knows he got to get the ball right where that backer comes from, you know, dump it off to the tight end. Next thing you know, the tight end runs for 25 yards and it's just, it's such a hard situation to be in. I remember seeing one play when, when Najee, he, he, he went back to do a play action fake to Najee Harris and Najee turns around and he just dumps it to him for like three yards. And Najee only ran for like another eight or nine, but it was a first down. And it was like, that play hurt so freaking bad. They had him in a really good situation. They, they, they was in the quarterback's face. It was hands down. It was going to be a sack. And right before they got there, he found a way to kind of maneuver his arm to kind of slip the ball around the DB right to Najee's hand. He takes that ball and runs like another eight, nine yards before he gets tackled. 
and gets a first down and it just deflates you. You know, you you feel it, even though you're playing at home, even though you got the, the fans behind you, you know, Terrell Suggs is back with his ugly mask on, his crazy mask that he always wears. And the energy is there. The feeling is there. Um, the opportunity to win is there, but it's just such a, a, a weird scenario. You know, they fought hard the entire game, and it was a really, really impressive game by Baltimore considering all the injuries they've had all years. And and it almost feels like you don't even want to talk about the injuries no more. Like, it is what it is. The injuries are what they are. Everybody goes through injuries. But this was an extreme year for the Baltimore Ravens, and it's, it's hard, man. Ben Roethlisberger is no freaking joke. I can remember the San Antonio Holmes play where he caught the ball in the back of the end zone and drug the toes, and we lost. I think it was an AFC championship game or something like that. Even my last game was a Pittsburgh Steelers game. My last game of my career, and I had no idea at the time I wasn't going to play football again in the NFL. You know, I wasn't really ready to be done, but my injuries kind of overtook me and I wasn't really happy or I didn't feel good. I didn't feel comfortable. I felt like a sitting duck out there. And um, as you get older, you kind of get in those mo- those moods and those modes where you're trying to figure out, you know, what's the most important thing to you as an older player when you get a serious injury. And now you're trying to figure out whether or not, you know, coming back for another year to risk getting hurt worse is is more important than being able to play with your kids or to be able to, you know, get on the plane and go somewhere with your wife and have a relaxing vacation without being in pain or being able to run and jog with your son at four or five years old because he wants to go outside and play and play ball. You know, it's it's such a hard feeling. Well, let me ask you, speaking of Ben Roethlisberger, this was Calais Campbell after the game. He said, uh, you have to respect the competitor. When the game is on the line, that's when his best football comes out. And it was so true. He had Roethlisberger. I mean, he made a throw with, uh, I think it was to Fryermuth. TJ, uh, Tony Jefferson was all over him, and Roethlisberger put it exactly where he had to put it. Um, there weren't long throws, but he put it right where he had to. And then, of course, in the overtime, they have a 15-play scoring drive. They converted two third downs. They were third and long, third and seven, third and eight, and then a fourth down on the way to the game-winning field goal. So the Ravens lose their final six games. They finish eight and nine. Uh, It's just the second losing season in John Harbaugh's 14 years. That, by the way, was the fifth time in the Harbaugh era that the Ravens and Steelers have gone to overtime. It's still one of the preeminent rivalries in the NFL. The names change, but I think it will always be one of the best rivalries in the league. But so the Ravens finish eight and nine and the season ends. And Daniel Wilcox as an NFL player. I'm, I'm so curious to hear your take on this. The day after the season ends, we would go to the facility for what was known as locker room clean out day. And we would walk in and we'd be able to talk to players and while there, there are trash bags in the locker room and the guys are um, basically emptying their lockers. They're throwing stuff away. Sometimes guys are walking around uh, having helmets or jerseys signed by the rest of the teammates. Let's face it. If you have not won the Super Bowl, that locker room cleanout day has a, carries a tinge of bitterness to it because your season is over and you, earlier than you wanted. And I remember being in that locker room after they lost to Tennessee after the 14-2 and two year. They lost the first playoff game, and there there was basically a sense of shock in the locker room that day. They had no idea that they would be cleaning out their lockers uh, that day. As you're cleaning out that locker at the end of the season, kind of what what's going through your mind? Like this year, I think for the Ravens, they knew it was over. You know, regardless whether or not they won or lost, it was too many other things that had to happen to get them in. You know, so I think going into the locker room this time, I kind of think they was already kind of prepared. 
you know, that they won't have to clean out the lockers. It's such a hard, like nostalgic type feeling because I think I heard Clayus Campbell say, so the only thing guaranteed in the NFL is change, right? Um, <clears throat> and it was so true. You know, it's so true. It's going to change every single year because it's a, it's a money thing. It's not a talent thing. Like everybody's talented. Every team is freaking talented. It's just, I can't afford it to keep all you guys, you know? So when you get an all-star team together, you have to make a run for the, you know, for that championship ring. Then that team will never be the same. I can remember my I can remember my roster being loaded. I'm talking about we had Deion Sanders on the team. We had Chris McAllister. We had Ed Reed. We had Terrell Suggs, Ray Lewis, you know, uh, freaking Jamal Lewis. I mean, we was loaded. I mean, I just felt like we were so loaded with talent and we was the worst team in the league that year almost. And <clears throat> on paper, we won a Super Bowl on paper. When it came down to playing games, you know, injuries kind of took a toll on us. The ball didn't bounce our way. We had one of those seasons like the Ravens had this year. We lose six, seven games, like underneath two or three points. And people don't understand, like, the margin of of difference in this league. Like, you can have a year where you win five or six or seven games, you know, within one, two or three points. And then you have a year where you lose those same games between one, two or three points. And this was that year for the Ravens. So when they can, when you, when the players are coming in the locker room, it's not guaranteed right now. Like you're not guaranteed to be a Baltimore Raven next year. Like you love this organization. You love this program. You love this team. You've met people in the media that you've became friends with. You've met people outside of football that you became friends with. You've met fans that you became a part of their family. You know, you go to their house and eat and sit down and talk to them and become a part of their household. You go to their kids' school and talk to the kids, you know, on career day. You know, you do you become a real permanent fixture in that community. And all of a sudden, it, you know, you you play a 60 minute game and it's all over, you know, and you come in there and you're cleaning up out of your locker and you're you're looking at your teammates and you're like, man, I can't believe I just played with Clayus Campbell. You know, uh, I, I got to get his jersey. Hey, you know, hey, Clay, hey, Clay, can I can I get one of your jerseys, please? Autograph this thing for me. You got your helmet, and you're taking that helmet around to all your, you know, all your offensive guys. If you're offensive, defensive guys, you're defensive guys. You got to get that all our cast because that cast may never, ever, ever be assembled again. And you want to get all those guys to sign your helmet, and you may go to the whole team, or you may just go to the big wigs on the team. Your Ray Lewis is your Ed Reeds, you know the Terrell Suggs and just get them to sign it. Just so you say, I got the autograph and I play with them. And one day your kid's going to be able to inherit that helmet and say, this is my dad's helmet. Here's Ed Reed's autograph. Here's Terrell Suggs, you know, and, and, and it's a, it's it's an amazing feeling. It's like a bittersweet feeling. You have this really sad feeling and and you love the game of football, you know, and it's like, you want to be in the playoffs so bad to continue. But then at the same time, you miss your family so much. And it's like, I want to go see my family. I can't wait to go see them. So you kind of have a you kind of have a sense of happiness that it's all over. And then you kind of have like a real ugly pit in your in your stomach that I got to move. <laughs> I got to pack up my house. I got to get everything out of here. What am I going to do with all this stuff? Do I take it back home? Um, am I going to be? In Pittsburgh next year, am I going to be in Denver next year? I don't know what's going on. Is the Ravens going to keep me? I pray to God that I stay here because I don't want to do none of this stuff. Like, I'm so tired of packing. I'm so tired of moving. I'm so tired of traveling. I'm so tired of living out of my suitcase in a freaking hotel. You know, you're trying to figure out, like, what's next. And it's such a it's such a weird moment to be in. Like, you, 
you get there and you're getting autographs and you're cleaning out your locker and you're not sure if you should take your jersey, if you should leave it because you know you're going to be back next year. And, you know, and it, it, it's such a weird feeling, man. And um, I think it's one of the hardest days of the year. You know, I really do. It, it's it's and it's different. It's different from you being in training camp and then the Grim Reaper come and get you and say, hey, man, coach, want you to grab your playbook, come up here and see me. And you know, you're getting cut. Right. <clears throat> That's a feeling where you just kind of want to hide like kind of hide and dug. You don't want the teammates to see you as you're walking up the steps with the Grim Reaper. You know, it's it's one of those type of feelings. But at in this moment, you're not getting cut. You just feel like there's a huge possibility that I, I won't be here next year. And it's a sad, it's a sad, ugly, like lonely type of feeling. And you, you don't really, like you meet friends when you play and y'all become extremely tight. And then you don't realize this might be the last time you're going to talk to that person. So it's, it's it's a really weird type of feeling. No, I'm sure. And you're right. It was Calais Campbell that said the only thing that the only certain thing in the NFL is change. Every year we'll see it again. The Ravens roster will turn over and there will be new players. And, and as you said, there are 20 some Ravens that are pending free agents or, you know, older players that are, could be out and, we will do a show later where we'll break down some of the key questions on defense, but there are a few players on offense that I think I'd like to talk about in this exact situation. They just played their what might be their final game as a Raven, and they don't know if they are, and it is a very di- difficult situation. You talked about you know becoming entrenched in the community as a player. You get to meet fans. You get to meet uh, neighbors and so forth, but one of the players who has been, you know, massive in the Baltimore community is center Bradley Bozeman. And he is a pending free agent, played guard for two years, started every game at center this year except the one that he was ill. He's, I think, one of the major questions this team has in the offseason. Can they afford to keep him? Uh, my understanding is there was some initial discussion between him and the team, and the two sides are fairly far apart in terms of how much Uh, the Ravens are willing to pay and how much Bozeman is looking for. But Matthew Judon said at the end of last year, look, we, a lot of us want to stay here and play. And I think, I think in the most part, players want to stay in Baltimore. I think they love playing in the organization. I think they love the camaraderie. I think they love the facility. I think they love the support of the organization from top to bottom. But as Matthew Judon said, you can't keep everybody. Do you think the Ravens can afford to keep Bozeman or do you think he'll be moving on? Um, I, I think the Ravens are extremely talented. Bozeman is so freaking good. Like he's a guy that you got to keep. I think the Ravens, if I know the Ravens the way I think I know the Ravens, they're going to find a way to keep Bozeman. Like they know how important offensive lineman is. It's like, did J.O. ever leave the team? No, he didn't. Did Marshall Yonder ever leave the team? No, he didn't. You know, so I think they're going to find a way. I don't know how they're going to find a way because I know they paid Stanley like a couple of years ago. And Stanley hadn't played since he got that. Like Stanley is basically just stealing money right now. And people don't understand, like he's stealing money because of an injury. He's not, he's, he sacrificed his body for, for that money, for that team, you know, that organization and he's out, you know, so it's like a two-way street to look at that. Right. You know, you pay a guy all this money. He, you never get him. You never get a chance to play. That's the gamble you take in this league. Right. And um, unfortunately, this is one of the leagues where your body is, it, it takes a toll, it takes a pounding. But Bozeman has been so consistent for you. You got to find a way to keep a guy like him. And then you're going to have to make some other moves 
that you don't want to make on that offensive line. I think, you know, but I think he, I think he's a guy you have to keep. He has been one of the most consistent players on that line. Kevin Zeitler at guard also, he had a great year and he he's under contract for two more years. And he said this week, he has no intention of retiring. He's, he certainly expects to be back. The, another one that is interesting is Patrick Ricard, who's a fullback headed to the pro bowl again. His contract is up. I think the Ravens will try to keep him, and and there aren't a lot of teams that use fullbacks in the traditional sense anymore like the Ravens do, so I think he's probably more valuable to the Ravens than he is to a lot of other teams, but you know, with all these players, you, you approach free agency, and agents will tell them, hey, you know, take a look, see what's out there, and, and all it takes is one team to throw a lot more money at you than the team you're playing for. And and sometimes that is what sends someone away. But if they lose Patrick Ricard, that would be a significant blow to what they try to do on offense. Another person I want to bring up is Devonte Freeman. You talked about losing all the running backs and the Ravens expect to get JK Dobbins back. They expect to get Gus Edwards back. They expect to get justice Hill back. All three of them suffered season ending injuries. If it were me, if I were Eric DaCosta, I would be inclined to try to keep Devontae Freeman on some sort of a you know team-friendly deal for a year or something, only because I thought he's 30 years old in March. I thought he showed pretty well for what they were looking for, and he's almost like a proven insurance policy if Dobbins and Edwards don't come back you know, 100%, as we saw Stanley was unable to do. I think he's probably more suited to being that kind of swing third running back than Latavius Murray is, although Murray had a great game against Pittsburgh. What's your take on Devontae Freeman? Do you think they should make a a move to bring him back? I think Devontae, he gave them a lot of consistency this year that he they was, of course, going to not have with all the injuries at running back. I don't think you have room to keep him. I think you have to sit down and you really have to evaluate your entire roster. And you got to think about the three backs that was hurt, how valuable they were to you before Devontae came in. And if you have to get rid of one of those guys and keep Devontae, like, who are you getting rid of? You know, I don't I don't think you get rid of Gus the Bus. You know, he's already a permanent fixture in Baltimore. Everybody kind of knows who that guy is. You know, and I, you definitely can't get rid of Dobbins. You know, he's your first round pick and the guy was freaking phenomenal. He was so phenomenal that Mark Ingram didn't get to play. You know, and then you you talk about somebody like Hill who just has that same kind of intangibles that Devontae Freeman has, but he's a heck of a lot young, younger. They the same kind of running back, you ask me. Like they kind of shifty, they super quick, but Hill probably has a you know a third gear that Devontae don't have right now, with Devontae being a little bit older. Um, and to me, they the same backs. You know, you 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 gotta sit down and evaluate. Like, do you go with the injured heel who could possibly come back and wreck shop? And all this stuff kind of goes too, right? When you start thinking about rehab, you know, like people don't understand, like either they don't see what what happens once a guy gets hurt. It's like he has rehab three, four times a day almost to try to get his body back ready. And he's still lifting weights every day, you know. So it's like if these running backs have been in the weight room every day and they look like freaks of nature from the upper body down, they can't do anything with the lower extremities, right? But they can do everything upper body. So they, if they're in the weight room every day and they're working their butts off and you seeing the, the attention to detail, you seeing them in meetings all the time, even though they don't have to go to meetings, they're still there and they're, they're dialed in. They're, team, they're, they're, they're great teammates. They're in the locker room. They're on the sideline cheering the other guys on. They 
they educating the running back that's playing, they're asking questions. Devontae Murray coming, they come to the sideline, they asking questions to Gus and you know, um, and Dobbins and these guys are giving them, hey man, I don't know if you saw that hole in the backside last time when you ran the 26 power. You know, see that you you got a late cut, you just press it a little bit more. I promise you it's gonna bust wide open. You know, you getting that, you seeing that feedback throughout the season. So you have to make real decisions based off what you feel is right, you know, and it's such a hard position to be in. Like as much as you hate like the front office sometimes as a player, you know, you have to respect what they do. And you you sit down and you watch. Like I when I came up there and did the player personnel thing and I was in the office in the meetings and and it got real. It got real, real, you know, seeing it. And I'm sitting there watching the general manager, Eric DaCosta, Ozzy Newsom sitting right next to him, who's kind of like a I guess he's kind of like the liaison GM or something. I don't know. Like whatever Eric need, Ozzy is there. Ozzy don't say nothing, but it's still Ozzy Newsom. And you got a table that's long enough to sit the freaking whole Roman Empire. And you got 30 guys sitting around that table. And Eric DaCosta is sitting there talking about growth mindset and telling you how not only do I want players with growth mindset, he looking each one of you in the eye and say, I want all you guys to have growth mindsets. Don't get comfortable, man. And, you know, and it's one of those chill type moments where you feel the chills go through your body. He's like, this dude, he ain't playing. Like, you know, he has to make hard decisions as a general manager. Let's face it. This is the time of year where where it, it all falls on him now. The off the free agent decisions, the roster building process and everything else. And let's face it, the, to me. The elephant in the room is Lamar Jackson and his contract, and and that's the big one. We talked to Lamar Jackson earlier this week, right when the season ended. He said he hasn't really talked to to Eric DaCosta about the contract yet. Uh, Lamar Jackson said he's just worried on getting his foot right, and then and then he can worry about it. But it's not going to go away. And Jackson is due to play on a fifth year option this coming year. His salary cap number will jump from basically three million to twenty three million, and that's why. That's one reason why this season just feels like such a missed opportunity for this team. I mean, they had what is really the great luxury of the NFL, which is a franchise quarterback on a rookie deal because it allows you to build the team elsewhere with cap money that you don't need to spend on your quarterback. And that window's closed for the Ravens now because Lamar Jackson's going to be due $23 million on his fifth-year option this year. And if they were to work out a long-term deal this summer – Maybe that number goes down a little bit in the early years, but it's not going to go down much, if at all, and and then they're on the hook for a huge contract. Let me ask you as a player, I don't know how much contract negotiations you went through over the course of a season, but if the Lamar Jackson contract doesn't, if the extension doesn't happen this summer and he enters that fifth year option playing out his last year, a lame duck as it were, is that a big distraction I think it could be a distraction. I, I honestly feel like, you know, somebody like Lamar, like you, you have to let him know that you, that he's family. Like you can't, to me, prolong his contract because it can become a distraction because the media will talk about it every freaking day. You know, like, hey, why didn't, why do y'all re- not restructure Lamar? And he hears those, he'll hear that stuff. You know, the players will hear that stuff. And then the teammates, his teammates will say, say something. They'll be patting him on the back and show like, bro, it's going to be all right. You know, it can start to fester and grow in the wrong direction, you know, and, um, you know, he might, you know, he could hold out. You just never know what could possibly happen. You know, like he if he has been living on three million, he now I think after a season like this, when he gets injured and he realized, you know, bro, like I'm, I really can get hurt. 
what happens, I think, with a season like Lamar just had, he feels like, all right, maybe, maybe you know, Superman does have kryptonite. I got to protect my future, you know, and you want the organization that you've given so much to to respect that. You want them to go ahead and pay you. You want them to to get it out of your way, to get it out of the way. And you're having these conversations with your your um your agent. You know, you'll sit down with your agent and like, and you ask him his honest opinion. Like he's your agent, so you want to know what he thinks. You know, he also wants to know what your mindset is. Like I can remember being a free agent. I was only a free agent one time in my nine seasons, right? And I I remember talking to my agent about like, hey man, what do you think gonna happen this offseason? Man, we're gonna surf the street, we're gonna we're gonna surf the market and see what happens, you know. Um, he was like, how do you, he asked me, how did I feel? And I was like, I mean, I love Baltimore. Like, I really love it here. Like, I don't, this is the first place I've been that actually have understood who I was as a player. I don't know if I want to leave. Like, and then just so happened that year, like soon as the season was over with, they negotiated my contract. They called me first before they called any other player on the team. My agent was on the phone. I'm, I'm driving to Atlanta. He's like, Hey man, the Ravens are on the line. They trying to figure out. You know, do you want to be a Raven again next year? Like, what do you mean? Of course I want to be a Raven. Absolutely. You got to be, you know, SME, right? So I'm dry, I'm riding home and I get back to Atlanta and, you know, Ozzy and everybody's on the phone. They're trying to figure out, like, how they can lock my contract in. They want to get mine out of the way first before anybody else, you know, signs the rest of the season. Because that, that that whatever they sign me for, it determines what they can offer the next person, then the next person, then the next person, right? You know, but I thought it was extremely extremely gratifying that they're trying to make sure they get me taken care of first. And they end up giving me a guaranteed contract. And at the time I was a set, I was the highest paid backup in the league at the tight end position, you know, and, and it felt good. You know, it wasn't a lot of money. I mean, by all means, it wasn't a lot of money, you know, but at the end of the day, it was guaranteed. So if I was to get hurt again or get hurt at all, because at that moment I had never really been truly hurt in the league, but if I was to get hurt, I was going to get every penny of my money. If, I, if they was going to cut me, I was going to get every penny of my money. And I just thought that was, I just thought that was a very, because it, it wasn't happening in the NFL. It was only happening in the NBA and baseball, you know? So I felt extremely good about it, you know? So it's one of those things, man, where, where you, you have to take care of your quarterback. He's the head. He's the head of the whole body of what it is you're trying to do. Well, he uh, he Lamar Jackson said it is it's more of a bone bruise in his foot than an ankle injury, which was how it was originally described. But he said it's a bone bruise and he, and he which is worse, you know, so I don't worse. know if it will involve anything surgically to fix that or oh. if it's just a matter of resting it up. But a lot of times a bone bruise, they, they'll tell you you came out better breaking it than having a bone bruise. So it's like, it's, it's such a deep bruise that the bone will heal. It isn't, it didn't break. It wasn't fractured or anything, but the actual bone itself is bruised. So it's went through your tendons, your ligaments, the fascia, anything that you have there to protect yourself. It's went through all of that to the actual bone and that bone will take longer to heal than an actual broken bone. It's crazy. You know, well, that may affect how much we see him at all this OTAs or uh, this spring or even into the summer. That time will tell on that. But as you said, the, the Jackson contract is the biggest question looming over this team. And, and it's interesting because he didn't have a great year. He was very good early. Then he wasn't as good in the middle part of the year before he got hurt. And yet, and Tyler Huntley's a capable backup, but I think it became very clear that this team is more dynamic with Jackson and his value can't be disputed. The only question is really how much 
can, do the Ravens ascribe that value and what kind of contract they want to put together? The other fascinating thing is as of now, as my understanding is Lamar Jackson still has never had an agent. He, he handles all the finances himself or with his mom or with the, you know, a very small group of advisors. So it's a very different dynamic to deal with here. And I don't know if that will change or what, but that is another kind of wild card thrown into the negotiation. All right, I have one last, one last difficult question for you if you're sitting in Eric DaCosta's chair. This spring, he will have to make the decision whether to pick up a fifth-year option on Marquise Brown. The way it works is first-round draft picks, have a the team has the right to pick up a fifth-year option on their first-round draft picks. And so that's why Lamar Jackson will be playing on a fifth-year option this coming year. If they were to pick it up on Marquise Brown, they're probably looking at needing to pay him in the neighborhood of $12 million to $13 million on that fifth-year option. Again, they could look to work out an extension for longer, and it might lower that cap number. But should the Ravens pick up the fifth-year option on Marquise Brown? He, he just finished. He topped 1,000 yards this year. He became just the second. It's really remarkable. He became just the second Ravens wide receiver drafted by the team to have a 1,000-yard year with the team. Now, it took him 17 games to do it. He finished with 1,008 yards. His cap number next year is roughly $3.5 million. The option would be all the way up to like $12 million. So if you're Eric DaCosta, would you pick up the option on Marquise Brown? Man, that's tough. This is, this is the question that you don't want to have to answer if you're Eric DaCosta. I, I think you have to I think Marquise would probably be the last person on the team I would probably be, be worried about. I would, I would, I think I would push him back to kind of wait to see how much money I'm gonna have left over, and then have to make a decision there. And of course, you want to jump and sign a guy like him early because you have seen the growth mindset from him from day one. Like you've seen his work ethic in the off season, you've seen how he's progressed, you've seen how he's matured, and you've seen how his game has matured as as a player. You know, you've seen the different elements of his game kind of continue to grow. And even though he's not getting the ball as much as he want to, um, now you have seen some frustration from him on the field. You know, you've seen him like, I was wide open. Like, I, I got to have that. I got to get that ball, right? You know, you got to find me. You got to get the ball to me. But at the same time, you know, he has not been a distraction. And he's been pretty much the model player, I think, off the field. I haven't heard anything bad about the kid. And one thing you got to take note of is that, you know, he's best friends with your quarterback. You know, like that's what I've noticed. And I don't know if it's still consistent, but I remember being in the locker room up there and I remember seeing those two kind of see their relationship kind of develop. You know, the new kid, he was he was a rookie that year. I was there and you could see that relationship, you know, build in the locker room. And then I saw it go to social media in the offseason where every time I seen Lamar, I seen Hollywood. And then um, every, then that same thing was the next year, you know, and you, you see him. You know, they both rocking the, you know, the Lamar Jackson gear and they both, you know, you know, it's, it's, you see that vibe. They both got their diamond necklaces on at the same time. They going out to the club or they going to go on some kind of trip together. They on a boat or something, you know, and, and you know, they, they, they kind of two of the same people. So you have to take that into consideration as a GM because chemistry is so important in this league. You know, you don't get rid of your quarterback's best friend because, you know, a couple mil, right? <laughs> 
You're absolutely right. They're both from South Florida. They have become really good right. friends. They almost always arrive at the stadium together. But money is money, right? And and Eric right. Acosta will only have so much to go around. And it, it will be, I think, one of the uh, interesting decisions he'll have to make this spring. Eric Acosta, if he speaks to the media in the next couple of weeks or month, will pr- pr- try to ask him about that. He may or may not answer it. But that decision has to be made sometime this spring, I think by early May. You mm-hmm. brought it up. I mean, Eric, this is the time of year that sitting in Eric Acosta's chair is not a lot of fun. He's got a lot of really tough decisions to make. All right, Daniel Wilcox, we're going to take a look at the defensive side of the ball in our next show. We talked about Eric Tacosta's tough decisions, and they're not just limited to the offense. Calais Campbell may or may not retire, but if he doesn't, if he still wants to play, will the Ravens bring him back? Do they bring back Brandon Williams? What do you do with a guy like Deshaun Elliott, who has shown so much promise but has also been hurt three of his four years? Anthony Averett solid player but you think you think you have Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey coming back as starters so it's a fascinating time of year and unfortunately for the Ravens they have already arrived at the point where they are looking toward the 2022 season and they will be watching uh, from the sideline as the playoffs take place Daniel Wilcox I want to thank you for all your insight in this season and again we will dive into the defensive side of the ball in the next show and you can play Eric DaCosta again and see how how hard it is to do. Uh, For Daniel Wilcox, this is Bo Smoka on the Believe in the Ravens podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.